So Father, we are here on episode three of our vocations series. How are you today? I'm doing fine. How about you, Andrew? I am. I'm doing great. It's it's fallish here in Phoenix, ish. Yeah, <laughs> down to the mid nineties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so the main question that we are going to be asking today is: Is marriage a vocation? So have I followed a God's plan for me a vocation? Because I'm now wearing this ring, Father. Well, it depends what we mean by vocation. Uh, if uh, we mean a state of life willed by God for the sal salvation and sanctification of souls, then yes, marriage is a vocation. If we okay. mean that there has to be some kind of special call, to it, then no, uh, marriage is not a vocation. Uh, so it's it, it again it comes back to the uh, the ambiguity of of that that word vocation, which causes a great deal of confusion. So it's it's good to try to establish what we're talking about when we say vocation. So if we mean a state of life, then yes, marriage is a state of life. Um, and by a state of life, we, we just mean a, a permanent condition of, of one's life that determines one's principal role, duties, and the, the spiritual benefits received. Um, and then a state is something, by definition, stable. One is not freely free to give it up. Uh, once one has embraced it. So there are three states of life in the strict sense of that, that term, uh, the priesthood, the religious life and marriage. We don't say that the, that the single life is, is a state because it can be given up. Uh, it's, it's the one we, we all start out in. And then if we choose a, a, a state of life at that point, we give up the single life. And even if we've lived the single life for 50, 60 years, and at that point decide to, uh, enter religious life or get married or the like, then, um, then we can, it's still, it's still an option. So it doesn't fulfill the definition of state, uh, in that sense. Uh, but it is, that does not mean that, that, uh, those who remain in the single life are somehow opposed to the will of God. Right. So it would be, it would be false for someone to say, for instance, that, uh, they're choosing the state in life of being an educator, being a teacher that doesn't, we, we use that colloquially all the time, right. but that's not strictly what we're talking about here. Right. Not in the theological sense of the term. Okay. Uh, so yeah, we, we say things like that all the time, or we even say the single state, but again, it's, it's important to, to be precise about what we're saying when we are talking about these, you know, these matters directly from the point of view of, of vocation of, uh, of God's will for us in the, in the choice of our state of life. Okay. So let's look at marriage as a state in life then. Um, is this is something that is normal across pretty much every society. You look back through ancient history through today and marriage is a normal part of being human. Right. There, there really aren't any exceptions to that. We, everywhere we go, every time and place we, we find marriage. Uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's built into the, to the natural law, to our nature, uh, because the stable union of marriage is necessary for the accomplishment of, of the primary end of, uh, um, of marriage, right? So, right. um, procreation and particularly education of children, right? Um, procreation is possible, right? With, uh, without giving biology lessons here without, right. um, uh, without marriage, but that, that aspect of education is, is really not without that stable union uh, of two parents, you know, as, as we all know from, you know, just, uh, the common wisdom of, of the world, uh, of, of studies that have been done over the years, 
a child in a, in a growing up without even one parent present, you know, if he's missing a father, which is the more common um, to, to be lacking, uh, then he, he suffers greatly in his development. And mm-hmm. so this, this, uh, this stable union is, is necessary to, to prepare that, that child for, for adulthood. And um, you can, you know, in a, in a more well-established society, you can, Perhaps it's easier to, I want to say, get away with, uh, but to, to compensate for the the lack of a parent than it would have been in uh, in ancient times. Certainly, at least on the on the physical uh, side of things, you know, if a father needed to to provide for and protect his family um, much more directly, you know, from attackers or from wild animals or you know going out and and hunting or farming or doing things that are uh, uh, manually intensive um, so that these, this, uh, it, again, it's built into to our nature. Uh, and, in, and in every society, we find that there are certain corruptions, of course, divorce, polygamy, but the basic elements, a man, a woman in a, a, a permanent union of some sort, um, they're there. Mm-hmm. When we were talking about marriage during the sacrament series, Father, uh, this was one of the greatest examples, at least that I can think of, where this there's this natural law and it's been baptized or, you know, raised to this level of a sacrament by God. It was something that already existed, but God mm-hmm. elevated it. Right. And it's it's unique in that way. In uh among the sacraments, it's the only one with a with a precise counterpart in the natural law. Such that, you know, if two unbaptized persons are are married they've formed a valid union a valid natural marriage once both of them are baptized then that that marriage bond the natural marriage bond is automatically elevated to to the supernatural level they don't need to go through a, another marriage ceremony mm-hmm. um and you know this is by the institution of our lord jesus christ himself that that any marriage between baptized persons is a sacrament um the sacrament being, of course, an, an outward sign instituted by God to to give grace, and you have the consent exchanged between the the man and the woman, um, uniting themselves to each other, and that establishes that that permanent contract between them. That that's a sign of the of the union between Christ and His Church. You know, Saint Paul uh, writes at length on the subject saying, let women be subject to their husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so also let the wives be to their husbands in all things. Husband, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and delivered himself up for it. So the church is, according to St. Paul, always obedient to, to, uh, to Christ, right? Remains always faithful to him. Um, is unspotted and unchanged until the end of time. Um, so, uh, you know, this is a, a holy thing. Okay, this 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 union between Christ and His Church, holy. And Saint Paul is saying directly, this union between man and wife is an image of that union between Christ and His Church. Right? So it's it's uh, it is something um, you know, elevated, something noble, something beautiful. Right. St. Paul calls it a great sacrament. And the church has defined in, in the Council of Trent that if anyone says that the matrimony is not truly and properly one of the seven sacraments of the evangelic law instituted by Christ the Lord, 
but that has been invented by men in the church and does not confer grace, let him be anathema. So the church condemns those who would claim that, that uh, marriage is not a sacrament. Um, so the ideal uh, of marriage is, is this uh, image of the, the union of Christ and the church and something uh, certainly supernatural, certainly uh, a source of grace for the spouses. You know, there's a rather famous story of, of Pius XI in which someone in his presence made a crack about marriage being a weakness. And uh, His Holiness said, uh, pardon me, but our Lord instituted uh, seven sacraments, not six sacraments and a weakness. So, uh, it, it, it's a sacrament. It, it's, it's something good. It's something holy. Right. And, and as such is a source of grace for the spouses. So the primary effect of every sacrament is an increase in sanctifying grace for those uh, who receive it. Um, and it has a, a supernatural goal, right? Educating children, not just, you know, that already exists on the natural level, but educating children for their supernatural goal so that they can attain everlasting life. That, um, it's a supernatural work. It's something beyond the, the, the unaided power of the, uh, of the human parents. Um, so it, it requires that, that grace coming to the spouses from God, uh, grace that comes through the marriage bond and that which is meant to be a, a source of grace for the, the married couple as long as both of them are alive and that marriage bond uh, between them lasts. Okay. Is there a, is there, can we talk about the single uh, state in life? And I know it's not technically a state in life. We just discussed that, but yeah. being single, um, you know, consecrating oneself to perpetual virginity outside of, uh, outside of the religious vows is that a better or the same or inferior to the state of marriage? Well, so any any state of perpetual virginity is uh, by, you know, according to the, the clear teaching of our Lord and St. Paul, um, according to the, the perennial doctrine of the church, which has been, again, defined by the Council of Trent, the, the state of perpetual perfect chastity uh, or even at least celibacy is superior to to the married state. Okay. Um, and so it's it's a serious mistake, in fact, to put marriage and consecrated life on the same level and just, you know, whichever one you seem more suited towards and you're according to your natural inclinations, it's not how it works. Um, and one is is good and one is better. Right? So marriage is, is it's a good. The, the perpetual virginity is a, is a superior good. So um, one can, you know, uh, consecrate oneself by by private vows in in the single life um in which case that would take on some of the aspects at least of a, of a state of life it would be a, a kind of uh religious life although okay. one could still pass from that to to strict community religious life all right uh we've talked already have how there's not really a specific call to being a religious or to being a priest mm -hmm. um is there a specific call for people is there a specific sign or something that we should be looking for if we uh, want to get married? Well, there's a specific call for becoming a priest, but that's what comes at, at, at ordination. At ordination, um, right. Yeah. And so for marriage, uh, there's not, nothing extraordinary is necessary. There's that natural inclination toward marriage that, that's built into human nature. So most people um, think about it, consider it, are attracted by it. Uh, and if they're not, that could be an indication that something is, is even physically wrong with them. Um, some kind of abnormality, which may make them even unsuited for, uh, for religious life or for the priesthood. Um, so it's, it's not, you know, 
religious life is for, for people who don't have any interest in getting married. Um, and it's not, you know, you need a, there's a special call that you need to discern that you're supposed to get married. Um, there are no special qualifications for, for marriage either. Right. Uh, a man or a woman, you know, physically healthy in order to perform the duties necessary for marriage. Uh, there are some impediments, but most of those have to do not even so much with the individual, but with the relationship between the the man and the woman who want to get married. So, uh, you know, if, if they're first cousins, they can't get married, that kind of thing. Um, so, uh, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot that that's necessary to enter into the, uh, into the sacrament. You have those people who, who say things like, well, I just, I feel like I'm called to marriage. Like, well, that's not a call. It's a natural inclination and there's nothing wrong with it. Quite the contrary, willed by God, built into our nature, can be elevated to the level of a sacrament. Um, but, you know, the, everybody has that. Most people have that to, to a greater or lesser extent. And giving up the possibility of marriage to pursue consecrated life, it's, it's meant to be a sacrifice. Like, well, I didn't want to do that anyway. So uh, it's, it's a sacrifice of something, something good in order to do something better. And, uh, you know, that has to be understood uh, by everyone, too, that it's a, you know, it, not the place to hide the un, unmarriageable uh, in religious life. But, but you know, and, and it's not a matter of, of, of natural qualities. You know, our qualities are qualities in religious life, in the priesthood. In marriage, our defects are defects in the religious life and the priesthood and, and, and in marriage. So, I mean, most of the, the priests that I know would, be, would have made great fathers, but they, you know, they chose the higher path. And there are plenty of, uh, of laymen that I know who could have been uh, excellent priests if things had gone differently. But so it's not just, you know, natural qualities, but rather it's a, it's a supernatural thing, a supernatural decision um, prompted and, and aided by grace made according to supernatural prudence. Right. It's funny. I was talking to uh, I was talking to one of the priests um, when I was on a pilgrimage a while back, and I sort of intimated without thinking to him that he didn't have any uh, that he wasn't like attracted to women anymore or anything like that or wasn't interested in marriage. And he looks at me, and goes, "I'm still a man." Like we <laughs> seem to forget. Like, oh right, when when lay people see the priests in the cassock, we kind of think that you're something different. No, still a man. It's a sacrifice to give up the joys of marriage, the, you know, the companionship, et cetera. It's, it's, right. it's a choice. Like you said, yeah. Yeah, there was a guy I knew in, in college who is a, a priest now. And, uh, he was already thinking about it at the time and everybody knew it. And so some, some girl one time asked him like, have you ever had a crush on a girl? And he's like, <laughs> I'm a red blooded male. <laughs> right. Of course, of course, of course I have. You know, yeah. a ridiculous question. Uh, right. so again, it's, it's, uh, it's not that it's not the, you know, well, no one would marry him anyway. He should go become a priest. <laughs> um, you know, imagine the sort of guys we'd end up with in that case. Anyway. Right. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we can say that there are two general courses of life, the married and the unmarried, and everyone is in one or the other. And really each individual member of the human race has the right to choose between them. He can choose to get married. He can choose to remain unmarried and no one has has the right to interfere in his personal liberty in that matter so no one can forbid marriage or command marriage um to to any minimally qualified person 
Okay, so unless there's some intervening circumstance, like if you right. took a vow of perpetual chastity and then you say, no, you can't get married. Um, but but that would be, you know, he'd, he'd no longer be qualified. Right. So um, even a, a marriage that's entered into um, by, you know, by force or by threat, et cetera, would be invalid. So, you know, but, uh, I think it was the first wife of... Uh, Henri Cat, Henry IV of France, uh, who didn't want to marry him. And they actually, the marriage was invalid because, so he was still a Protestant at the time. She was a Catholic. She refused to go through with it. And the, during the ceremony, when she was asked for her consent, her brother physically took hold of her head and made her nod. So the, the, it was the, the, uh, the marriage was later declared null uh, on that sure. account because she was obviously not acting freely. So no one can force you, um, into, into a marriage and, um, and no one can force you to, to, uh, to remain single either. So both states are created by God. We say both are his gifts to men. Um, in the, in the book of Proverbs, it's, we read a prudent wife is properly from the Lord. And so whoever marries with a good intention performs a virtuous act. I mean, to show how how greatly she values the act, the, the the church enriches marriage with a with a noble and beautiful and holy ceremony. And then those who forego the natural light of marrying to dedicate themselves more perfectly to God do something still better. Right? So, mm -hmm. so marriage is is good, consecrated life even better. Okay. And th and that's how we have to think of it. Either choice uh, made with the right intention requires the assistance of grace, is virtuous. And it's therefore pleasing to God. And people have been attained their salvation and been sanctified in, in all states of life. Right. To those people who are maybe young adults and trying to figure out what, where they're going, what they're doing, uh, which state in life they would like to pursue, what, what should they be looking for? I mean, what, is there, does it come down to cost benefit analysis? Does it come down to prudence? What is how do, how do they decide? Certainly to prudence. And, and the biggest thing in, in trying to make that decision is to have one's uh, vision towards the end. What's, what's the goal that I'm pursuing in, in this life? And you know, St. Ignatius uh, in his spiritual exercise is very insistent on that when he has, he has the whole section on the, the choice of, of a way of life. And he says, you know, what we want to be guided by in making the consideration is the, the principle and foundation what is going to be most for the praise and service of God, our Lord, and for the salvation of my soul. And he keeps coming back to that. Right? Well, think about this in the light of, of this truth. This has to help me serve God and save my soul. So that's, that's the first and most important thing. So we have to then apply the, the abstract doctrine right, about, about marriage, about consecrated life to our own particular situation. Um, you know, not regarding our feelings. You know, my feelings are going to tell me which one I should pick. Uh, that they're unre unreliable uh, guides, as, as we've spoken about before. But really thinking about, okay, what what if I consider it as objectively as possible? What is going to be best for my soul? What is going to give the uh, the most glory to God? But you Father, know, I saw a sign in Hobby Lobby that said, "Follow your heart, chase your dreams." I mean, <laughs> that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. How, how's that going? <laughs> yeah. Great. Right. And that's, and, and, and that's part of our, our, 
our problem these days is that that mentality. Um, you know, what does following my heart mean? It means following my feelings. And that's not necessarily going to have any relation to my eternal salvation, which is the one thing that I'm made for. And feelings are a, a you know, a tort- notoriously bad judge of all kinds of things. Even if I make a prudent decision about, okay, so I, 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 I've determined that the best thing for me would be to get married, uh, you know, continence, you know, perhaps too difficult. Um, other circumstances prevent me from pursuing consecrated life. I think it would be better, safer choice for me to, uh, to pursue marriage. If I go by my feelings about whom I'm going to marry, that can also be a problem. Right. Um, that, that choice of a spouse also has to be governed by, uh, by prudence and by looking towards the, the last end. Right. Which, and it is a, you know, it's, it's a bit dicier than, uh, than choosing consecrated life. You know, you, you choose a, a, a fervent religious congregation, you pretty much know what you're going to get. Um, it's a safe choice. It's not usually clouded by, by emotions. Um, with marriage, it's just, you know, I mean, even, even if the other person is excellent and you get along very well together, you just don't know what's going to happen. You know, all kinds of things that that person could, could die. And, um, you know, very soon or, or be struck with an illness that you're looking after that person for the next 35 years. And it's, it, it really is, um, uh, a very uncertain, um, thing to enter into. But the important thing is to be thinking about going into it, pleasing God, right? prioritizing the soul, not just satisfying one's own inclinations. Um, a spouse should be a, a help, not a, not a hindrance to salvation. And so often you see the contrary. In mm-hmm. our, our lives as priests, we see the contrary uh, all the time. And that's why the church doesn't like mixed marriages, because it's not about, about your feelings um, or you know, having children that are physically beautiful or you know, having a nice life in a nice house in the, in the suburbs with, you know, it's about saving your soul and, and getting not just you, but spouse and children all to heaven. That's, that's the idea. And it's a big responsibility. And, you know, you think if you were, if you were, you know, if that was a job rather than someone, a matter of, of marriage, if you were hiring someone to help you get to heaven, you would you know, yeah. conduct a pretty thorough uh, process of figuring out who the best candidate would be. Um, and it wouldn't just be who was the best looking, right? Um, right. So, and I'm not saying you know that that the courting process should should take place like job interviews, but um, we have to try, <laughs> to try to abstract from our our emotions at least a bit. You know, is this really a good idea? I might like this person very much, but is this person good for me? Is this person going to be a good um, parent for the the children that we're going to have one day? Right? Ask goes, am I going to be a good parent? What do I need to work on in myself to be a to be a better parent? You know, for the for the priesthood, I had I had six years of a rather intensive formation. Uh, for marriage, you get you get you know an engagement of six months with with uh, hopefully more than three, but with a minimum of three classes, like three classes for your state of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, it's something that has to be taken you know more seriously than it very often is. It's it's interesting you said um, that it's the choice of a spouse is dicier than choosing a religious vocation, and I hadn't considered it that way because, it, well, no, I mean you do have emotions. There are emotions in the yeah. courtship process. That's yeah. normal. Yeah. Uh, but but if you choose a religious life, 
there's only one set of emotions, yours, that you have to deal with. <laughs> right, right. When you're choosing a spouse, now you're playing with someone else's emotions too. It's it's more difficult. There's a lot right. more that goes into it. Yeah. And those those personal attachments form and um, you know, and, and very often uh, you know, people get into things that even they had in they had an inkling, well, you know, this wasn't the greatest idea, but then they say things like, well, I'm sure it'll work out once we're married. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it will. <laughs> yeah. um, right. So you have to keep in mind that you're not choosing a spouse, you know, it's choosing marriage in the abstract, you know, marriage is, is marriage to a particular person. And so you have to, to, uh, to think about that and choosing the, as much as you can, the right person doesn't mean that there's one perfect person out there that, you know, that, that's written in the stars and, and, uh, you, uh, you have to, you know, search the, the whole face of the earth to find that person, but to say, okay, there is a, a reasonably well-founded and prudent hope that, uh, I in partnership with this person can have a, a good Catholic family, a good Catholic life. We can both get to heaven and help our children to get to heaven. Right. Um, and sometimes you have idealistic uh, young people and especially young ladies who they, they, you know, they have this glorious ideal of, of Catholic marriage in their minds. Um, and then they're, they're very eager to enter it and get that process started. And practically the first guy who comes along will do because they're thinking more in the abstract than the fact that, that this lout is the, um, is going to be the, the partner of their life. And the sacrament of marriage is not going to turn him into an ideal Catholic husband. Right. What would you say to someone who is, um, who feels like they have the, uh, calling or sense that they want to be married? Uh, I'm trying to choose my words carefully here. Um, <laughs> but you know, for, for whatever reason, they just can't seem to find a partner, someone that, you know, fits these criteria, et cetera. Um, should they yeah, just stay single? Should they marry someone who's decent? What, what do you think? I would say much better to be alone in life than to be irrevocably attached to someone who's an obstacle to your salvation. Um, and you know, there are, that's another common thing. Generally young ladies, they reach a certain age, they get desperate and sure. the first willing guy who comes along and it doesn't generally go very well. So I, I to, again, to, to keep that, that prudence, right, what is going to be most effective, um, uh, helping me to glorify God and, and save my soul, right? And single life in the world, even if it's not, say, not initially voluntary, you just, you know, can't, you'd like to get married, but can't find the right person. Um, it still can be a, you know, a very noble thing. Often our greatest helpers right, for us, for us priests and our apostolate are, are single people right, because they're not bound by family ties. Uh, they have more time, more energy to, to dedicate to apostolic works and particularly among our teachers. I mean, we couldn't, do our job without the, uh, you know, the, the single ladies who contribute so much to, uh, to Catholic education, just to, you know, just to give one example, mm -hmm. um, you know, it has been suggested by, by some well-meaning people, you know, that this, 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 uh, exaggeration of this notion of vocation or, you know, well, there are only, only two vocations, you know, consecrated life and, and marriage. And if you, if you, you're not in consecrated life, you have to get married. Go, you know, mm -hmm. find someone, anyone who's willing, which is really just ridiculous. I, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know what the origins of that are, but it, it needs to to die forever. There are there are plenty of of people living good Catholic single lives in the world. Um, hopefully, they continue to do so rather than enter into bad marriages. Um, yeah. 
and this comes from a kind of exaggeration of that uh, of vocation and perhaps an exaggeration of the the relative merit of marriage versus staying single. Um, but to give an example, I was reading something recently that said that after World War II, there were there were four million um, more women than men in France. So because of you know all the, the deaths on the battlefield, yeah. et cetera, you have this huge disproportion in the population. So all those um, all those women, they're just you know living outside of the will of God, despite the fact that there is no one for them to marry. Uh, it, it's just an absurd suggestion. So uh, you know that's again something that that certainly needs to disappear. Um, yeah. You mentioned a little bit before, Father, and can can we loop back to this a little bit? You said marriage is a good, religious life is better. Mm -hmm. uh, there may be some people who are married who are taking great offense to this. So I want to give you a chance to make sure that people don't have their feelings hurt here, Father. Uh, well, if if their feelings are hurt, I'm sorry, but they can take it up with the church. The, the okay. uh, Council of Trent has has defined that, and it's you know it's the very words of our Lord: "He that can take it, let him take it." Um, and you know, Saint Paul says that he he would he would that all men were like himself, that they would remain. Uh, unmarried. Nevertheless, marriage is is good, is is willed by God, constant teaching of the church on that as well. Um, but it's, you know, if we were, if we think of, you know, two other good things, let's say we're considering um, taking a resolution for Lent or at, on a retreat, and we're thinking about, well, I could say the daily rosary, or I could go to mass every day, or one is, is certainly better than the other attending daily mass right. of, of infinite value. But the rosary is still very good. You know, if, if you just took the rosary resolution, I would be like, loser. God's not going to be pleased <laughs> with you. You know, but it's, still a, it's still an excellent resolution. You know, so, right. so the, the things are both very good. One is, is much greater than the other, but still both very good things. And there's not an obligation to choose the better thing. Right. Okay. And, and even though it's a lesser good, it's still, it still is really excellent. <laughs> You know, it's the, right. the image of of the union of uh, of Christ and His Church. That's that's you know not something to thumb our nose at. That's that that's big uh, stuff. That's that's uh, holy and profound and uh, noble and beautiful. So, um, if one wishes, he may may choose marriage absolutely without scruple. You know, even if you just don't want to be a priest or a religious, you, you can get. That's okay. You can you can do that. Um, but God does offer a, a, a very special friendship, very special graces, a privileged place to those who who leave the prospect of, of, uh, of spouse and family to follow more closely um, in our Lord Jesus Christ's footsteps. Yeah. So for those people who would say, I, I have heard this before, you know, you graduate high school, graduate some college, maybe you're getting a job, you go, I think I'm going to get married. I think why not? What do you say, Father? Someone comes to you for marriage advice, and they kind of have that sort of idea floating around their head. Uh, right. It, it can't be a, a marriage cannot be for for a Catholic settling for mediocrity. Right? That's that's not what it's intended to be. Like, well, priesthood looks hard. Well, religious life looks hard. Well, I'll just get married. <laughs> just just get married, huh? Yikes. Yeah. Right. You know, it's it's it it's. It's beautiful. It's noble. Right? It's outward aspects. There are lots of things about it that appeal to our nature, um, but uh, you you certainly don't need me to tell you that it's difficult, right? You're you're making two lives into one, and 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 you know 
two lives which which have so many differences, even if you have a lot in common in terms of your background, education, et cetera, you know, one of you is male and one of you is female. You have a, just a different way of looking at the world. Right? And it's and to to find that that harmony and that balance in your in, in your life requires a great deal of self-sacrifice. And so it's not it's not I'll just get married. It's I this is this is the the cross I'm choosing to carry through my life that I think is going to help me to attain everlasting life and, and work for the for for God's glory. Right? Choosing marriage is not it's not choosing the easy path, even though I think too many people think that that's what they're doing. Uh, it, it might look easier from the outside, but certainly um, it's not meant to be easy. Right? Every every one of us has to carry the cross. We have different crosses, um, but the cross is our salvation, and um, and we have to. I think approach marriage with that spirit of consecration. It's not consecrated life in the same sense as the the priesthood or religious life, but it it's it's something holy that you're consecrating your life to God through this this other person to to build a, a Catholic family together and, and render glory to God in that way. So anyone choosing marriage, I would say, should settle for nothing less than an excellent Catholic spouse, uh, with the goal of of building a family and and raising citizens for heaven. Right. That's beautiful. I remember during our marriage classes, my wife and I, we actually uh, had our classes with Father Pizzat, who's here in Phoenix. Uh, and one of the things he said to think about was, do you want to unite your soul to this person? Not just your body, but he goes in, in a sense, not probably perfectly theologically, but in a sense, you are uniting your soul to this person for, you know, for the good of eternity. Is that what you want? And that may, you know, for anyone who's courting, dating, you know, whatever you want to call it, that's going to make you stop and think for a minute. One hopes. <laughs> One hopes. Yeah, and that's and it is. It's a matter of the soul, as as all things should be for us. But it is it's a sacrament. It's a it's it's meant to sanctify. Um, right. And that and that sanctification is it always comes with the cross. Right. Father, beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time to go through this with us. We appreciate it. All right. Sounds good, Andrew. All right. Thank you. God bless. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the SSPX Podcast. You can find all our previous series and episodes on sspxpodcast.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to and rate this podcast on whatever podcast app you use and on YouTube. This helps more people to discover the beauty and the truth of traditional Catholicism. And if you're able, we'd greatly appreciate your support of a one-time or a monthly recurring donation for these projects. All that information is at sspxpodcast.com. Until next time, thank you for listening and God bless you.